Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Dude, book me against Monster Ripper. Well, she's going over, take it. Run on my Yuckety yuck, Mick McManakin. The British Bulldog is part of the new generation. You may all bow the door. Cultaholic Classic Raw Review now entering its third year. What? Is there seriously nothing else on? We are here via our Icopro-powered DeLorean trudging through the heavy traffic that is the new generation era of the World Wrestling Federation. Who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio, former Cultaholic Heavyweight Champion John, uh, John Campbell. John Campbell, apparently! I forgot my own name! <laughs> this is the best start! I am with the bear in the big blue bar cage. He's the head pen of Cultaholic, the man whose name I started saying before I'd even said my own, hence why I called myself John. Doesn't need a pencil, gets it right every time. Head pen, Justin Henry off of America, hello! Well, I assume it's just because Vince has a, has a second time on the roster, so he's changing your name to avoid confusion. <laughs> so he's changing my name to Tom yes, Cablamo. Garrison. <laughs> Garrison Campbell. <laughs> to which he'll just be shortened to Ga in about three months' time. <laughs> oh, mate, this Gregory is nice, Campbell, isn't it? Camp to Shane's pal. Oh, um, oh, God, yeah, I know, right? This is good, isn't it? Back to our, back to our normal routine, our normal pattern, just you and I. Well, there is kind of a yin and a yang to it. The, the you know the yang being uh, we have to watch episodes of ninety five roll. <laughs> there is that small caveat, and that is what we are here to do today. Uh, uh, before we get into it, if you didn't check it out already, Justin Henry and I, we along with Matthew Gregg, watched WrestleMania eleven. Are you are you suitably recovered from that experience, Justin? Well, it wasn't as well. I mean. I... I realized I was watching in the company of two friends I love to goof off with. Yeah. So it it, it, it it did it did kind of a you know it did sort of deaden the blow a bit. But Mania Eleven, while it was not a good show, it wasn't as loathsome as I remembered it being. Like all the booking decisions were sound. It was just and it put together a good enough show, not a WrestleMania quality show. Really, really wasn't. And we are here to talk about the Raw after Mania 11. And it's a surprising one. We will get into it in a little second. Or rather, Justin will talk us through the rigors of uh, this week's episode of Monday Night Raw in a moment. But want to address the fact that on the same night as WrestleMania, we had a massive show taking place on the other side of the world, didn't we, Justin? Yes, we did. I believe uh, it was either you or Matthew made reference to this during the watch along. It was a massive joint show over in Japan that featured a litany of promotions. 
a massive night of wrestling. And uh, Dave Meltzer, who was watching that more than Mania, goes into great detail on this show. You're in... kidding me. I know, right? Imagine him choosing to watch this <laughs> instead. I don't know what he was thinking. But he goes into uh, massive detail on this in the Wrestling Observer. Got some highlights from you here from Dave's Observer, which we use uh, every week to kind of give us an idea of how the wrestling landscape looked during this time. Uh, from that very show, uh, Kenta Kobashi, Kawada, Masawa, Toyota, Inui, uh, Terry Funk, Cactus Jack, Takada, Great Sasuke, The Headhunters. Just a few of the names that uh, Dave Meltzer is struggling with for best performer. Uh, says Kenta Kabashi, probably the I mean, best of the night, but there was no clear winner. Imagine putting a show together like this today with like, like every major American indie and without repeating talent once. Just like a, an AEW main event. Amazing. Could you imagine? Yeah. So yeah, in terms of like what this would look like modern day, like it would be. I don't think WWE would be involved, but it would be like AEW teaming with Impact, oh, of course not. teaming with AAA, which we're kind of nearly there at anyway. MLW. MLW. ML- NWA Ring of Honor, uh, NWA ROH, all coming together and doing one super show. That's that was how powerful this truly was. Uh, so he couldn't make his mind up on best performer. Probably at a touch, an edge. It was probably Kabashi. Uh, worst performer, uh, Don Arakawa from PWFG, uh, a shoot group wrestler uh, who had some embarrassing barber-like chops in his sixteen thirty match are we familiar with don arakawa as he cut through to us justin <clears throat> i am not I, I i i pulled up the card right now he doesn't even have a wikipedia page oh well that's um, justin will you do us the honors of running down the card because i'm bad at pronouncing some of the names <laughs> i can't i can't guarantee i'll get them all correct but i shall do my best yes friend <laughs> um i don't I don't have the promotions here, so if you want to help me out with that, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for it. Oh, I'll tell you what, then. Match one was represented by JWP. <clears throat> it was Candy Okutsu, a Dynamite Kansai, Fusayo Noshi, and Hikari Fukukoka. I'm sorry, is it Fukuoka? Defeated Cutie Suzuki, Devil Masami, Hiromi Yagi, and Mayumi Ozaki. It was 17 and a half minutes. Lovely. LLPW presenting the next one. Yes, this was an MMA rules match. It was Shinobu Kandori defeating Harley Saito in a minute 12. Match three from AJW from All Japan. <clears throat> oh, this isn't quite, uh, this might be a little something different because this is for the alien death, this is the alien death match for the Gogudan interplanetary title. Oh! And this match went 15 minutes. Amazing. This was... This is Ryuma Go defeating Uchu Majin Silver X or Majin Silver X. And my apologies. This is um. I can assume this is Shikara before Shikara. It seems very Shikara-y in terms of its its ridiculous daftness. I'm a big fan. Um, did you get the AJW match in there with Aja Kong, or have you got that next? That's next. Go on then. Yeah, I see. Uh, uh, I don't know if your order is the same as mine, but we'll fig- we'll figure this out. Yeah, this was this was all Japan women's. This was Aja Kong and Kayoko Inui defeating Blizzard Yuki and Manami Toyota. Seventeen minutes forty seconds. Beast of a match as well. Dave got four and a half stars. My best match of the night I, so far. Well, Manami Toyota is considered one of the best wrestlers ever, so that hardly surprises me. Mm-hmm. Barbed wire barricade baseball bat tornado death match from the IWA. <laughs> Slightly out of order here, because my next one is a Pancreas Rules match where Minoru Suzuki destroyed Christopher DeWeaver in a minute 50. 
Nice. Yeah. Lesson learned. Minoru Suzuki is scary no matter what year it is. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Have you got that barbed wire <laughs> match next? Is that next on your yes, order? that is next. And what a lineup here. This was Leatherface, Shoji Nakamaki, and Terry Funk defeating the Headhunters and Cactus Jack. And what is listed as a barbed wire board and barbed wire baseball bat bunkhouse death match. <laughs> hey, according to Meltzer, Terry Funk had the move of the night on the entire show in this very match. It was a moonsault off the top rope to the floor. I believe it. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. The old middle aged and crazy Terry. He was out. He would have been middle aged and crazy here. at this point, wouldn't he? Still so. <laughs> 50 years old. What a boy. What a boy. Uh, <clears throat> Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi up next. I assume this is a regular tag match. This would be Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Yuki Ishikawa defeating Carl Greco and Don Arakawa. Half a 16 star. And a half minutes. Bless him. Didn't even get out of the star. <clears throat> Mishinoku Pro up next. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to predict right now Dave Eva's at least four and a quarter. <laughs> okay. Just based on the lineup here. This is Grand Nanawa, Super Delphin, and Taka Michinoku defeating Sato, Shiru, and the Great Sasuke. 22-25. Four and a quarter stars on the money. I nailed it. Nice. Uh, what did he give the match it. featuring rings, though? <laughs> uh, where Akira Maeda kicked the crap out of Chris Dolman in 526. Mm -hmm. And I assume literally kicked the crap out of him. <laughs> um I assume this is going to be one of those hybrid MMA fights. It's kind of hard to rate, so I'm not sure how you would have gone on this. Oh, mate, he called it a dud. Um, not too... who is because this Chris Dolman is not the not NFL's Chris Dolman. I'm wondering who this is. A Dutch retired martial artist, Christian Dolman. Who's <laughs> a silver medalist apparently in sambo and non-Russian sambo. Oh, he was uh, just happy to be there. I, was, I don't know how happy he was to get kicked in the face by Akira Maeda. <laughs> Uh, the 10th match of the night, represented by UWFI. Is this UWFI International Rules? Nobuiko Takata, Billy Scott, and Masahito Kakahara. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, Kakahara defeated Gary Albright, Gene Lydic, and Kazuo Yamazaki. Beastly. Beastly match. Three and three quarters from Dave. Uh, FMW taking match 11. Oh, yes, this is the No Ropes Exploding Barbar Death Match. Just went 11th. I hope they had more than one ring for this show. <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm getting this right. This is great. Needed defeating Pogo Dio in 1359. It certainly was, mate. It certainly was. Uh, All Japan taking the semi-main event spot. I'm, I'll predict at least four and a quarter for this, unless they were loafing it, which I don't. I don't. I can't see. This is Akira Tawe, Johnny Ace, aka John Laronitis, and Toshiaki Kawada going to a half-hour draw with. Kenta Kobashi, Mitsuhara Misawa, and Stan Hansen. Oh, can you imagine how battered all six would have been at the end of this? <laughs> Basically, it's five guys laying on the floor while Stan goes, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Dave gave it four and three quarters. No shock. No shock. Oh, I mean, look at the roster in there. No shock. Gosh. And then top of the top of the tree was New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, only calling 1556. This was Shinya Hashimoto defeating Masahiro Chono. Dave says it's hard to figure what they were thinking doing this match, doing a match this bad after all those hot matches underneath. Quarter of a star. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Color me intrigued. I want to see the show now. I you know what I want to see. I want to have a little bit of time off, and I want to just watch that 
all Japan six man tag that goes to a time limit draw. I feel like I'd cry <laughs> halfway through. There's three six mans. I want to see that one, the Michinoku Pro match, and the and the and, and the FMW Let's Kill Each Other match. <laughs> uh, it's Doctor Death, Steve Williams, conspicuous by his absence from this show, says uh, Dave in the Observer. Steve Williams is the subject of much speculation after missing All Japan's second most important tour of the year, the Champion Carnival. First announced in Japan that Williams had returned home because his son had a medical emergency, but as the week passed on, the word got out that Williams was suspended. And it was reported in the newspapers as such, with reports varying, the suspension would be either six months or a year. What's going on here, Justin? I'm not really sure with this story. I know I, there was one in 97 where he was arrested for arrested for a drug-related issue, and it uh, killed his chances of working in the States for a little bit. But this 95 one, this is not something I'm, I'm very familiar with, I'll admit. This one wasn't one that was killing his chances of working stateside because there were rumors flying around uh, once it was revealed that he was stepping, potentially stepping away from all Japan, uh, that he was on his way to either jump to New Japan or stay in America and go to the WWF uh, to run a serious program against Diesel. They could have used Doc in 95. And, and, and you know, considering who took over talent relations at the time, I wonder why somebody would be pulling so hard for Doc to come to the company. <laughs> you wonder who, eh? You wonder who. My God. My yeah, God. I wonder. <laughs> Dr. Death is someone that just, I think, again, it's its having that friendship with Jim Ross, which does help. But he comes up in conversation quite a bit as somebody who people wanted to bring in to have a run on top. It was the, this conversation happened around Diesel and this conversation would happen again in 98 with Stone Cold Steve Austin. <clears throat> well, I imagine a lot of it is JR's advocacy for him. But I mean. If you look at you know Doctor Death in his prime, whether it's All Japan or whether it's uh, Mid South or WCW, then the guy was just he was a unique beast. He'd be a star today if he came along now with just his power moves, his reckless abandon, the way he throws people around. And he has a bit of Brock in him, like he I mean he's like he's not shaped like Brock exactly, obviously, but he he's just a beastly powerhouse who insanely strong, insanely tough. And that's why and you wonder why Cornette was so mad about the brawl for all and the way and the way he was booked, to, well, not booked to die, but allowed to die against the Bart gun and how that killed off any chance he had of being a top, a top guy even for a little while. Yeah, it was pretty damaging. That was quite exciting. It was a quite exciting time for uh, for, for, for Dr. Death, Steve Williams in general, to suddenly sort of be on the precipice of other things. Just a guy who, as you say, not has the, 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 the figure of a Brock Lesnar, but has that intimidation that comes with it. Mm-hmm. You know what? And if the, if the planets had aligned in a different way, I think he could have been a, a massive player in the West as he was in the East. Hey, it's all mm-hmm. kicking off in the locker room in the WWF. According to Dave, bitterness already in the World Wrestling Federation over the Lawrence Taylor deal. Some actually believe the $1 million plus points figure, but more so the feeling that the other football players who basically didn't do much but stand in the corner got more than the wrestlers did. Most figured this would happen when the Mania paychecks came in 90 or so days, but it's already there now, so it's already talked about. A lot of upset here from, from the lads, according to Dave, Justin. Well, I do understand how that could breed resentment. But I mean, from a business standpoint, you know, you see, you see what Vince is trying to do, and oh, you, yeah. you can understand, you know, what what his intentions are to try to, 
use these names, like the, the, the catapult. And we do see later on when the WrestleMania replay advertisement comes up, how they emphasize the celebrities first. And even during Mania 11, they, they think the stars are bigger than their wrestlers because when they're showing you know highlights of Mania's past, you know they're showing Tommy Lasorda from Mania 2 and Muhammad Ali from Mania 1. You know, I, I, of course, we're not going to show Hogan and Savage because we're not going to plug the competition. No. So maybe they kind of had to do it that way. But it's... It is kind of an indictment, you know, who they see the bigger stars as, but the other side of that is you're trying to use them to benefit the wrestlers. So it's it's a precarious balance. Worth note as well, backstage uh, at WrestleMania was somebody who wasn't able to compete as they were waiting for their WCW release to come through. Uh, they were actually part of the Fan Festival, which is weird when nobody would have truly known who they were. But uh, who do we reckon this might have been, Justin? Would this have been Jean-Paul Levesque? It certainly would have been Jean-Paul Levesque, who is ready to go with the WWF. He's just waiting for the official business from WCW to come to an end. And uh, who knows? We may see this unusual Frenchman in the wrestling industry later in the year. I wonder what will happen. If Shawn Michaels is to be believed in his memoirs, and there's ample reason to believe that he may have embellished a few things, it was on that night of Mania 11 that he walked up and introduced himself to Sean and Hunter and said something along the lines of, I heard I heard you guys are the ones I should associate with, so I wanted to say hi to you. <laughs> and that's how it started. Wow. Hey, do you know what? I, I actually 100% respect that. 100%. If, when you watch NXT today and you think about Hunter's fingerprints being all over the show, that's, that stems all the way back, allegedly, to a meeting 26 years ago in the locker room of the Hartford Civic Center. <laughs> As Lawrence Taylor was headlining the main event. What a dream. What a dream. So that's all the we're, wrestling we're... news. It's a bit of a quiet one coming out of WrestleMania season. No doubt things will kick off. Uh, as we continue on our journey. But let's throw it over to Justin Henry, who will talk us through the Raw after Mania 11 and all the eventfulness that occurred within. Well, Tom, this was actually a very, very good show with one little kink that we're going to talk about at the end. Uh, this comes. This, this is the first ever live night after uh, um, post-Mania post Raw, I believe. Well, actually, hang on. I think 94 might have been also. Let me just double check. I heard rumor. And I was going to bring this up with you. I heard rumor that this was pre-taped. This was no, this was live this on the night live. of. Which yeah, does explain I, I what goes on at the end, actually. <laughs> I tell a lie. 94 was the first one to do it. But this is OK. So this is the second one. But nonetheless, this isn't quite the post-mania role, as we know, where you have. The big stay over crowd, a bunch of people come from overseas and around the country and they fill out a 20,000 seat arena and they have their course chants all night and and they harmonize with various festival theme songs in order to get them over like Fandango and now nah, this is still just a run of the mill show in some ways. This is the Mid Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York, which holds at most 2,500 people. It's a nice venue. It is a nice venue, but it's not really a post mean your role venue no and you know what i noticed at least in portions of this mm -hmm. little to no crowd sweetening well it was live and it was definitely a hot crowd i'll give them that much i thought the opening was well we'll talk about it as we go but i i thought they they took some warming up i thought a little bit but there's one match on this show in particular that really gets them out of their seats and we have a lot to say about that one hey let's do it let's do it 
so we get some still photos from the night before, as as is tradition. Bigelow LT, Diesel and Sh- Diesel and Sean. We learn in the voiceover from Vince that Diesel won the admiration of Jenny McCarthy and Pamela Anderson. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I see what they're doing here. This is still on the Make Diesel Look Strong tour. And if you say, hey, you know, hey, these two bodacious blondes think he's, think he's hot stuff, and we, and we emphasize that to the crowd, they'll think, hey, wow, he really is hot stuff. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like not, that he had, not that he had a grueling win over a great competitor like Shawn Michaels, but the fact that, you know, two, two beautiful TV blondes love him. That would make me hate him as a young man. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Like, oh, look at him. He's tall. He's rich. He's popular. Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy are falling over him. I hate him. I hate him. Point taken. Yeah. <laughs> so after after emphasizing that that was what's most important, the hammer for this segment is mentioning that Owen and Yoko are now the tag team champions, and then we cut to the intro. Nice. Cool. So we, yeah, go on. It's been it's been. Go ahead. You want to say? No, I was I was going to talk about Jim Cornette on commentary, but I don't think you quite got to that bit yet because I was just going to get an observation about old Jimmy Boy. Okay. Well, we, we as I mentioned, it's Cornette on commentary with Vince McMahon, a very good team, I will say. It's because Cornette is see what's real about Jim Cornette, and especially in this day and age, as a commentator, he would sell everything. In the, even if even if he personally thought it was stupid, he was a professional in the booth, knew how to sell, knew how to put over attributes for even people that might be undesirable or or what have you. This man was just wired to that for, for that. And, and I, would, I, would, I would argue better than Vince in that sense. Agreed. Cornette compares Yokozuna's comeback to Michael Jordan. He compares Yokozuna's comeback to Michael Jordan, who had just returned to the NBA two weeks earlier. So this was a timely reference. Um, I'm not sure if Vince would have been smart enough to make that reference or savvy enough to what's going on in the world around him outside of the bubble. And we open with what looks like a pretty hot match, but you had something to say about Cornette? Uh, just how excited he was to be. like. I think this is the most animated I've ever seen Jim Cornette on commentary. Like at one point, like jumping up and down with glee. It was just nice to see Jim Cornette <laughs> as invested in the product as he, as he was. And uh, and weirdly, when I was watching this, it's, it bears no, no uh, it has nothing to do with the show itself. But as I was watching it, I had a print. I had Prince Little Red Corvette in my head, and I was looking at Jim Cornette and myself. And I looked at his lovely yellow jacket and his sort of flickers of red on his tie. And in my head, I was singing "Yellow and Red Cornette," and I just wanted to share that with you, Justin, and with people listening. Now, every time you see Jim Cornette, you will sing "Yellow and Red Cornette." <laughs> I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope it no catches offense. on and everyone sings it, and it's and it's the new "Don't You Forget About Keith." <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. It's, I mean, you got that over. They played it in a video. Hell yeah, they did. Let's get it over like Rover. <laughs> John, I don't know how you Jim do it, John, but car. get that over. <laughs> Yokozuna in my manager of the car. <laughs> yes, yes. I should point out that the part of Corn- the part of Cornette's giddiness is probably stemming from the fact that he's now managing the tag team champions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so that, exactly what it is. So that's, that's important to know. He's uh. Anyway, we have our opener here. It's Bob Holly versus Hakushi. Holly enters first with that with this really forcible toothy smile. 
that is so un-Bob Holly-like. Like, we've seen Bob Holly smile, but this is a, this is such a put-on sugary smile. He just wants to punch people and stomp their heads in. And this is... <laughs> Meanwhile, one, two, three, kid comes to the ring after Holly makes his entrance, which is kind of weird. He's, he's like, he's just here to back him up. I'm confused as to why, after the night before, he's associated and as Razor Ramon's chum, and now he's back slumming it with Bob Ollie. Like, what's going on? Well, he... kids, everybody's friend. <laughs> it's weird he, he to see that connection. He's everybody's friend. Mm. <laughs> that should be like his gimmick for forever. Like, yeah, and then they wanted to put me with. Uh... With a Brutus Clay and be one of the third Funkadactyls. <laughs> I ain't doing that shit. I don't look good in those kind of boots. Glittery, shimmery. <laughs> I think they should have done that, personally. <laughs> Sean Walton, the Funkadactyl. Hell yeah, John! You had four weeks off, John. Back to it. <laughs> I don't fucking dance. <laughs> I love Sean Walton. He's... For my money, the best shoot interview subject there is because the man has no filter and no reason to lie. He was he became notorious once more during that Seth Rollins fiend held in a cell match as the voice of reason. And <laughs> you know it's all gone horribly could, wrong when Sean Watt was the voice of reason. Quick digression. You ever watch Seinfeld? Yes. You ever see the episode where he thought George was dead, so so Steinbrenner went to his parents' house? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. No. A, Okay, well, there's, there's, there's a famous episode where, where George was um, on, on a secret vacation, but they couldn't find him. Everybody thought he was dead. So George Steinbrenner, the Yankees boss, comes goes to his parents' house to inform them in person, which, I mean, you know, just a bunch of freaking miscommunications at this point. But so, so Mr. Mrs. Costanza are on the couch. He's, he's in a chair, and, and, and they seem distraught. He's trying to console them. And you see Frank Costanza just shaking his head. And you think he's just, you know, he's he's in denial. Then finally, he blurts out the time runner, what the hell did you trade Jay Buhner for? <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's why he was stewing. He couldn't help. Though. He's he's more mad about a trade from eight years before than his son being dead. <laughs> and it just it goes on about like, like, you had a rocket for an army. He had a he had 30 home runs. Either. You don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> like that was Waltman during Hell in a Cell. Like he couldn't stop himself from stewing over. Love him. Like, he's like. He was like, um, I might not be on another one of these, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the line in it. You know, you know, it's going to be gold when he starts it off with, I might not be on one of these again. <laughs> he could have bit his tongue, <laughs> but that's not his nature. I'm glad he didn't. God love him. That was a beautiful moment. And poor Matt Camp. Well, we don't know it was a disqualification. Like someone's at your saying, fight back, fight back, fight back. <laughs> God bless Sean Waltman, mm-hmm. and a hell of a nice guy too. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard so, uh, Matthew say similar things. I think they've uh, they've got high together at a convention. <laughs> it was it was planned. It's, I don't, I'm not just saying they went around the sheds and just took a load of weed. Like it was part of a, <laughs> part of a, it was part of an event. <laughs> and he's just he's one of a kind, and I'm and I'm glad he does shoot interviews just for just for the reason that he has no filter. Mm-hmm. So Hakushi comes out with the big entrance. And what we have here is a pretty good match to start. Holly hitting those famous drop kicks of his. Gets the early advantage. And then arbitrarily, out comes Owen Hart and Yokozuna with their tag team titles. And Fuji just to hang out at ringside. 
Now, it seems weird to me that the heel champions, you could say they're scouting a babyface tag team, but aren't they more inclined to just lean back and just not bother doing anything until somebody actually challenges them and then and then make a big to-do about it? You'd have thought that would be more the case, especially when one half of the team is Yokozuna, who literally burns up a sweat walking down to the ring at this point. He's a big lad. And that's not even me being an arsehole. Like, he, you, mm. what we watched, watch WrestleMania 11 with us. He gets in the ring, and he is leaning on the ropes. What did he do to get so tired? He entered the ring. Mm. Like he removed his robe. Oh, he's, he was just, that was it. He took his robe off and he's like, whoa, just going to have a little lean on the ropes here, lads. Like he's not in a good way right now. His Shoko. No, he's still, he's still good for what he is, but you can tell he's just ballooned to, you know, beyond desirable excess. Mm-hmm. So they're out here watching Holly misses the top rope move. We learned during this match that Billy Gunn's going to be back soon from his injuries from when Yoko sat on him the night before. It's a little bit of an optimistic uh, prognosis there. <laughs> I mean, a 600-pound man just squashes ribcage. Soon is kind of uh, vague. Hopeful. Yeah. My favorite moment of this match, there are two, and this is one of them, is when Cornette goes to put Bob Holly over verbally. Cornette likes Bob personally. And, when, and, even, and, and even though he's kind of a mid-card talent with uh, some, somewhat of a low-ceiling gimmick being the race car driver, he's trying to put over his credentials. And Vince cuts him off. I was like, now why is Yokozuna out here? Like, like Vince doesn't want Cornette to give any oxygen to the undercar guys at all. <laughs> he wants to tell his story instead. Which is a shame, because I liked... Like, Jim Cornette was, as you say, throughout the night, very good at doing that, at giving the props without burying. Like, being a heel mm-hmm. manager and being a heel commentator but without burying. There's a skill to that, and he very much has Absolutely. it. It's one of the best at it, but you see each man's true nature where Cornette is about the business and Vince is about his business. Mm-hmm. So on the outside, Owen goes after Kid. Kid roundhouses him in the face, and as Kid's standing over the fallen Owen, Yoko lumbers over. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I mean slowly. This is the slowest surprise attack ever! If Yoko had been on tiptoes doing the cliched you know, Flintstones walk <laughs> on his toes. He would he would have been walking faster. I genuinely thought that as he was slowly walking over, Kid was going to turn around and Yoko was going to freeze, and it was going to become a, a spontaneous game of what's the time, Mister Wolf. <laughs> the golf cart and Austin Powers ran over the guard. He's moving faster than Yoko's gonna was here. <clears throat> I felt for I felt for kid who was just there like waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> I think Yoko, I think Yoko finally hit him during the Sean promo later. <laughs> I think some say Yoko still hasn't hit him. <laughs> John, I want Yokozuna. I want Mike Myers riding Yokozuna as he as he plows into the guard. <laughs> no. <laughs> Some say that the surprise <clears throat> strike on one, two, three, kid was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the ring, Holly and Hakushi are really secondary to everything that's going on now. Uh, this isn't a bad match, by Holly. the way. I do want to just jump that in. Like all this stuff's going on, this isn't a bad match. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's Bob Holly and Hakushi. Yeah, How could it be bad? It's actively bad. It's pacey. It's 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 fun. There's there's shenanigans. It's good. 
It could have been better about the shenanigans, but I see why there are shenanigans, and we'll find out a little bit later. Uh, Holly gets his big, uh, gets another dropkick. Jeez, he's trying to kill the guy, Bob. <laughs> he, he, he tries to run out the ropes. Yoko trips him. Yoko's made it back to his original position, which is enough. Of, a good amount of time has passed by. I can only assume he teleported. <laughs> <laughs> he, used one of, he, he used one of his pipes in Super Mario. <laughs> There's a green pipe. <laughs> Right next to the table where he kicked Sean. He randomly collected collected his paycheck from WrestleMania in the form of 50 coins. <laughs> Put back it's, up the other end. Stomped on Hornswoggle under the ring. As he pops back from the other side, he trips Holly. Akuji finishes with a Gomenasi Senton. Gomenasai, I believe. I call it the people sent on because he bounces as, over him several times before he hits it. Hasn't the people watching something else at this point, 95? <laughs> yes. And Hakushi wins. Decent match, but it was basically window dressing for a lot of the shenanigizing. All the shenanigizing. But it was fine. I liked it. I thought nice opening match. Nice. And we've. Do you know what? Yeah. I am fine if you're telling stories around the tag division because the, the tag team in 1995, whoa, it's, a, it's a funny old time. But you would be forgiven for thinking that there was there, that there was no problems in the tag division at this point because you've got Yoko and Owen out there as the champs scouting. You've got Holly and the kid there uh, knocking around. You have a couple of other tag teams later. You'd be forgiven for thinking that the tag team division is healthy at this point. Well, I mean, it, it could have been worse, but they just didn't put in, just didn't put enough attention or focus on it. It's if we still have if we still had the Quebecers and the Steiners and the Head Shrinkers at this point, we'd have a, a pretty solid division oh, all told. God, yeah. <clears throat> but we don't, so whatever. We have an ad for some WrestleMania merchandise narrated by Lord Alfred, who's not too long for this company at this point. I thought he'd <clears> already <throat> gone, to be know. honest. It's not long from now. It's maybe a few months away. Mm-hmm. You can order the WrestleMania 11 VHS and get a hat, get the Lawrence Taylor jersey shirt, or jersey as they call it. And I wouldn't mind having that shirt, actually, just for a, a novelty. Be cool, wouldn't it? I mean, Mongo, Mongo wore one. I want to be like Mongo. <laughs> well, I just want the Mongo one. I want one with Mongo's face on, rather. Don't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right at the jury duty, the judge gives you a thumbs up. <laughs> like, like I'm not gonna waste your time with this. You can go home, sir. Thank you. Obviously, obviously, you're a VIP. You're wearing a Mongo shirt. <laughs> Speaking of mania, we have the post WrestleMania report. It's poor Jim Ross in front of WrestleMania banner backstage. He uses a lot of adjectives to describe this show, but he never uses best or great. I admired that. He was very, he's, he's always been very cautious with what he insults um, and what he and what he praises. He's never, mm-hmm. like, even nowadays, I think more nowadays than ever, he's, he's more of a curmudgeon than he's ever been. And, and, and no fool is suffered gladly with Jim Ross in 2021. Uh, and, and even at this point, and, there, as, and you're right, there is something admirable about the fact that Jim Ross, who was keen for full-time work, was in the WWF, was working 
on Monday Night Raw, still couldn't bring himself to blow the unnecessary smoke up the backside of WrestleMania 11. Even though it was time to go, well, last there was a show and it happened. <laughs> Certainly it was talked about. It was very controversial. WrestleMania 11 will go down in history as an event that happened at a time. <laughs> Of all the WrestleMania so far, this has been one of them. <laughs> Some call it a stage. <laughs> some, have called, some, have, some have called it the worst WrestleMania of all time. Anyway, what happened on this show? Was... <laughs> this WrestleMania will definitely be in the top 11. It was ranked 12th. Oh, no. <laughs> so we get some, we actually have some storyline exposition here out of this. It's Bam Bam Bigelow at the, at the post-show press conference, which I barely remember at all. He, um, <clears throat> he's kind of disconsolate. He's a little bit shaken from the loss of LT. He's talking about how he's unsure where he stands with the Million Dollar Corporation, but he says he's going to keep on fighting. This didn't sound like badass Bigelow. This sounded like, um, a conciliatory, a bit more likable version of Bam Bam that is clearly been clearly shifting gears and going in a different direction. Sound like he'd been humbled by Lawrence Taylor. I was going to say by somebody else. <laughs> Not by me, Bubba! Not by me! <laughs> Bubba Bigelow. I humbled Bigelow, Bam Bam! I put him into camouflage! They call it the messiest WrestleMania main event ever. <laughs> they call it just the best thing. Jesus Christ, what happened? <laughs> so after Bamiam's sort of um, emotionless repartee there, we get stills of Bretton Backlund. And then what JR calls a match of epic proportions with between Taker and Bundy. <laughs> a match of proportions. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was disproportionate. <laughs> With a special mention of umpire Larry Young, like take that baseball, you and your unions. <laughs> As is what you get for using good faith. Let me get an interview with from Vince with Diesel. Hey, he's the leader of the new generation. <clears throat> Yes, the wooden leader of the new generation, though not his fault. <laughs> Diesel tries to personalize his, his promos, but he's uh, clearly very hamstrung, as mentioned many times, by the constraints of what's expected of him. So we learn here that Sean has requested a return match despite losing clean. Because Sean's contention is he would have won if, if Hebner hadn't been uh, out of position, and he may have a point. So, so Diesel kind of blames Sid for getting Hebner hurt. And he concedes Sean does deserve a rematch because he's the fighting champion. And he says Sean can have it, but he cautions Sean to drop Sid. So so, so far I'm like, okay, you know, it's decent promo. He's, they're building to what's what I know is coming already. But then Diesel, I'm going to remind you of something here. This is 1995. Mm -hmm. This is a show targeted toward toward the youth of America. People were born in the 80s, maybe even late 70s. He name drops. Carl Malden. I had to Google. <laughs> I know who he is, but I wouldn't have known then. It was like, that was an odd, uh, that sounds like something that Vince McMahon may have written for him. I mean, I'm just, either that or he's a massive fan of On the Waterfront. 
<laughs> for which Carl Malden won an Oscar in 1954. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was in Patton. He was in Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, the man is, is a prolific actor, but no way in hell I would have known who the hell he was at that stage of my life. In fact, Carl Malden at this point, let me do a little math here, was 83 years old. As spry, 83 years young. He, he had been acting since 1937. I'm trying to think what that would be a mod, like a, a version of, like an old, a version of this in modern day. Would be like See? Drew McIntyre coming out and saying, oh, I feel like I have this champion. I feel like Willy Wonka. Hi, Gene Wilder. <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, but... The one problem with that is the kids know who Gene Wilder is kind of is through the meme. Like, oh, you blankety blank, blank, blank. Oh, that's Tell true. me how blankety blank, blank. That's true. Somebody without a meme, maybe. I'm trying to think of like, like old actors who are still alive. They're like, are, they've kind of faded into obscurity a bit. I can't really think of one on top of my head. Who, I mean, who played uh, who played Garth in Wayne's World? <laughs> are you comparing Dana Carvey to Carl <laughs> All right, John, this is a special one. I want Carl Malden as the church lady. (laughs) Always did a a Mark Carvey impression of George Bush. Good evening. (laughs) What would be prudent at this juncture? I'd also like like Drew McIntyre in the movie Master of Disguise. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. He played a turtle. He played a rock star. He played a um, turtle. He played a, played a TNA employee. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Got it? Doubt it. I think Drew McIntyre is turtly enough for the Turtle Club, though. Yeah. But is he bullety enough for Bullet Club? Do you know what? I just thought, Master Disguise, that is Vince humor, isn't it? It certainly is. It's like his kind of movie. It really is. It's 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 comedy that is so on the nose that is nonsensical with characters that have to get over dead quick because they're not around very long. <laughs> if I were a writer and I hated that company, I would show him that movie and then just quit. And let Russell have to deal with it later. <laughs> Set a couple fires before I leave. <laughs> I'm at guys, get in here. I want a wrestling turn. <laughs> So, so, the, so the Carl Malden reference is from his, I believe, American Express commercials he was in at the time. Let me just double check to make sure that's correct, because uh, the other word. What would have been less timely? I'm a... Diesel dropping a Malden reference, or Diesel coming out going, "Hey, Sean, where's the beef?" It, that's actually debatable, because because what Diesel's referencing here are the ads for American Express, where he where, where the slogan was, "Don't leave home without it." He's telling Sean, "Leave him." Don't leave home with him or leave him at home. He's trying to tie that in. <laughs> so, so that was like an ad campaign from the 70s and the 80s. So it's not super off. Fair enough. But I mean, it's still, it's still a, a, a reference to kids, kids like me who had just, I don't remember, maybe we're still watching Nickelodeon when we're really gotten. It's almost like an old man is writing a program aimed at young people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's almost like that's still that's happening the... many years later. <laughs> it kind of is, and although I've come to appreciate Mr. Malden and his largely oversized uh, proboscis, 
<laughs> that anyone who plays him has to have a prosthetic of. <laughs> Academy Award winning actor, so he should, should be somewhat known. Yeah, very true. Speaking of acting, <laughs> there's a segue. <laughs> this next bit, we see a group of stuffed shirts, men and women, sitting around this, what appears to be this elegant dining room table, or restaurant table, I can't really tell. And, and they're talking about something in these glowing terms while violin music plays, like, oh, the splendid action. It was it was evanescent. You know, when you're imitating someone of high class, it's six, it's six people doing that. Basically, they're, it's six people pretending that the WBF is like opera. And they're praising the performances you know, of these magnificent auteurs, as though it were like, you know, Carmen. And then we come to the very end of this ad where they put the logo on screen that says, the World Wrestling Federation in a class of its own. Christ. There was no twist now, in that. The, 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 as soon as they were going, oh, what great action. Blah, 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 blah. These posh people at a dinner party. In my head, I thought, oh, they're going to be talking about Raw or a wrestler is going to come crashing through and land on their table. And I got the boring answer, which was they were just talking about Raw. <laughs> the problem with this ad, and, and you are right, there was a boring answer. But the problem with this is you don't allow the audience to draw their own conclusions. No. It's like if you're with the NFL and you're doing an ad campaign to appeal to whoever, kids, whatever age group, whatever demographic, you want to show the hard hits. You want to show the athletic plays. You want to show all the amazing things, the, the game day experience you know, in, the, in, the, in this compact video that hits the senses. But at the very end, you're not going to go, the NFL, we do it better than everybody else. <laughs> What you're showing should indicate their greatness. They shouldn't have to actually explicitly say it. <laughs> like if, if, if it was a video of Sean coming off the top rope and all the high-flying action, the hard-hitting action, you just say the WWF and you leave it at that. This is They do this a lot at this point because they are on the back foot. You do get a lot of in the next in the next year or so. We're the best. We are top entertainment. Everyone else is crap. We're great. And it's like, if you have to tell people how great you are, you're probably not great. Exactly. Let's tell more show. Yeah. It's like, if you're 20 minutes into the show and you haven't already come to that conclusion, then this ad's not going to help. No. You. I was like, oh, I, I was on the fence about Monday Night Raw. Then I saw some, an old people dinner party watch, talking about it. And now <laughs> I like it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Thousands of stories await you at Audible. You can sign up right now for a free 30-day trial and get a free wrestling audiobook on us at cultaholic.com forward slash audible. And then they go from that match to this match, or that add to this match, which is going to... I mean, you're coming out of that, so it's high expectations now. What do they give us? The Allied Powers versus Well Done. <laughs> Two grown men wearing thong singlets over over biker short tights. Versus well done. <laughs> you know, for I gotta say, this match was actually important in, in a sense for me. Ooh, okay. Because because it taught me something that I really didn't want to know, but I'm actually kind of glad I know now because it's something I never knew before. See, I always thought that well done singlets were just like a sewn on complete thing. Like the you know, you know how has has a little thong in the back separating the uh, the glutes there. I thought that was just like like one static single, just all sewn together. Well, no, because at one point when Luger had, I think it was one of, on which one it was down, but he pulls her tights over and you see the string come out of the uh, out of the crevice. <laughs> and you realize, oh, they're actually wearing thong singlets over top of shorts. The actual thongs over the top of actual shorts. Yes. <laughs> Why weren't they called Team Dignity? <laughs> they were saving their money to call their boat that, I do believe. If Deacon Blue taught me anything. <laughs> it's um, not a career highlight for Mr. Well or Mr. Dunn. It's really not. And and I was hoping, I was listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Bertrand. And it was the episode about the Bushwhackers. And I was hoping that we get a little bit of insight into Well Done before. Because they mentioned Well Done. And again, Cornet said, in, asked Bruce Pritchard to chat him up on it about the thinking behind Well Done. And Bruce's answer was, they were well done. <laughs> and that, that was, he had nothing to offer. He had nothing to say about Well Done. I'm hoping for a three-hour podcast special maybe in a year's time. But he had nothing to say about Well Done. And I kind of think that the more I look at what they are, I don't think people really thought that much about what they were meant to stand for. They were actually a really good, solid Southern-style tag team as, as the Southern Rockers, Rex King and Steve Dahl. Mm. But, but this is just such a loser gimmick from Jump Street. And that's what's frustrating is because at a time where the tag, where, you know, you could do with some, like, decent, proper tag teams... They were a good tag team, and if you if you kind of separate the silliness of what they're wearing, and watch them, they're good, and that's the really mm -hmm. frustrating part. Is it's about how like they they could both be Bret Hart, but they're looking like that. It ain't happening. I, mm -hmm. I, I can't I can't fathom how you would ever make that happen. No, especially when their opponents are. Come out, Vince compares them to FDR and Churchill. <laughs> I would, I, I would want to make a joke about Luger here, but he, given his later medical predicament, it would not be appropriate. Fair shout. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's just, 
I can't see Luger being a new. Well, I mean, I mean, he did get a new deal in '95. Hey, <laughs> I'll make that joke instead. So we, Luger definitely. Uh, listen, I hate busting on Luger. We've been doing it for two years now, more than two years. He's on the way out. Let's enjoy it while we can. And do you know what? A... I feel I feel okay, the same. I feel the same about the fact that I don't feel so inclined to bust his balls because they've they've given up the ghost on him being the 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 new Hulk Hogan. Like they've given up that yes. dream, and he's in less situations where he looks like a fish out of water or a fish that can't be asked to be at a party. He looks less like that now. And and as we said on the watch along, I'm not massively against the idea of tagging him up with bulldog um it's not it's a it's a bit of a cliche but i'm not against it as a tag team you know the allied powers it's not the the freshest idea but hey it's two beefy boys just hanging around let's stick them together yeah allied powers are fine bulldog and luger can make a a, a fun tag team Mm. so we get a spot where bulldog press slams one of them i believe it was um it was on timothy well and Luger goes to do the same on Dunn. Now, either Dunn doesn't get enough thrust to jump up into Luger's grasp, or Luger just kind of dead arms him. But Luger gets him up about, like, like face level to kind of just hold him up and kind of just pushes him down to the mat. <laughs> it, it was, um, it, it's just further supports uh, Lu- Mr. Fuji's theory that uh, he did not slam Yokozuna. It was a hip toss. <laughs> and then Luger follows it. And then Luger immediately follows by it with, with a, uh, Rather paltry clothesline knocking Dunn over the top rope. It's the second time they've tagged together, and it's the second time they've tried to do some sort of fun stereo move that has gone a bit awry. Oh yes, the um, the double slams of Mania Eleven right. where they almost laid on top First of each other. Freaking spot of WrestleMania Eleven, and it was, it was, it was the the pile up at the in ring spaghetti junction between the Blue Brothers and Allied Powers. <laughs> Power slamming each other, it's almost through each other. It was, it looked like it looked like a two K twenty glitch in real life. That's what it looked like. <laughs> well, if you think that was bad, there's a spot later on. I, I, I didn't make a full note of what happened here, but I do know that some, one member of Well Done got dropped hard. I believe on their head because Cornette goes right on his head, and Vince Smith goes, "He didn't hurt anything." <laughs> Vince already thinking about a lawsuit. <laughs> yes. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> His eye normally Charles normally Hill. looks the wrong way. <laughs> like what a what a babyface announcer. Like ah, he's a heel, so therefore who cares about his health? <laughs> I will say though, I don't recall the Ally Powers having this finisher, but it does make sense. They do a variant of the heart attack where Bulldog picks you up by the legs in the, in the Nightheart hold. But Luger said doing just a simple diving clothesline does the forearm smash. I liked it. I like that. That's a good finish. Easy. Easy for Bulldog to do. Although he did look paggered. Holding him up there for a little long. Um, hold him up there. Big forearm by Luger. Nice because it's obviously the heart attack and you know Bulldog is, is connected to that family. The forearm is Luger's move. This was nice. Nice finish. Decent idea for a tag team. Decent concept. Good finish. Yeah. It was fine, and then they went nowhere with it, and then somebody went somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got, we got a few months away before we get into the, that whole scenario. <laughs> I'm excited. 
I'm still kind of have to think if we should do Nitro too or not. Do you know what? I'm I'm cons- I'm considering that as well. Like uh, on show admin, whether or not we do uh, either like a recap of Nitro at the start of this, or whether it's its own entity. I'm I'm pretty open to both. Well, I'll, well, I'll tell you what, what what I can guarantee here, or what we could guarantee, since the first Nitro was unopposed. How about we do that? In between, in between roll episodes. Oh, I, I, do you know what? That's a great idea. Okay, so what we will do? This is this is great. Mm-hmm. I like I like doing show admin during the show. It cuts down time. Mm-hmm. So what we're gonna do is when we get to the first Nitro for that week, we will do the Cultaholic Classic Nitro review. I'm excited. Yeah, there we go. That's the thing. Just, just like Luger and IRS, we're jumping. Ship. <laughs> Bring the noise. Speaking of star power, we see some of the main celebrities in the, in the post show doing little uh, drop ins, like talking about what a great time they had at WrestleMania. This is this was the precursor to, you know, hi, I'm David Arquette's gaffer, and you're watching Botchamania. <laughs> hi, Matthew. Um, so Jim McCarthy had a great time. Jonathan Taylor Thomas did. He's doing his little muscle man dance. Pamela Harrison kind of had a good time, but. Judging by her expression. Pamela Harrison kind of had a good time. <laughs> you won't see a real smile till the check clears. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I've sent my invoice in. We'll check back in with me once it's once it's gone through. Say what you want about Jenny McCarthy. And, and a lot of true things have been said. Like, she seemed happy to be there, at least. She did. She did seem genuinely delighted to be a part of WrestleMania. Miss. But you know who had a really good time at WrestleMania? Oh, I certainly Nic- do. Nicholas Turturro. <laughs> who, who was so high energy, so, like, he made Todd Pettengill look like Dick Cavett. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy to get, get the name drop Dick Cavett on this show. But Nick Turturro was like, like, hey, it's such a great time. You know, hey, I can do this. I can do this. You know, don't tell people NYPD Blue, but I, I could be on this show. Hey, Vince, let's do something good. I want to work with you. Call me Vinnie Rue. Oh, kill me Vinnie Mac. Call me Vinnie Mac. Vince, Vince never called him again. Oh, he wasn't that bad. Like, I, do you know what? Do you know what feels really sad? His version also ran because everybody else was just there kind of half smiling clearing a paycheck and Rich is like oh, I love it come back and do more with us and then you got Totoro who throws himself into it like every inch of himself into it I was like hey let's do stuff again and Vince's like no not with you <laughs> the one guy who's really passionate about it <laughs> but don't worry Totoro worked with Diesel again many years later in the longest yard he remake he certainly did <laughs> what a treat who would have guessed how, funny how life works it out. It really, really is, mate. But now, but now we come to the match that justifies this entire viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And what might be, I'm not exaggerating, the best match we watched in 1995 from a from a non-pay-per-view standpoint. Oh, no, really? A match that had it been on WrestleMania might have pushed it out of the thumbs-down uh, range, closer towards thumbs in the middle, and a solid thumbs in the middle of that. Bull Nakano versus Alundra Blaze for the WWF Women's Championship. Oh, no, I was, uh, as soon as, as soon as the, I saw on the, the, the WWE Network, they had a picture of Nakano and Blaze wrestling. I thought, oh, this will be good for just that alone. And whoo, very happy, very happy camper. 
You may have underestimated them just from seeing the graphic. I, I might have done a little bit. We learned right at the start of this match real fast that on next week's show, we have a six-man tag, Owen Hart, Yokozuna, and Hakushi taking on Bob Holly, 123Kid, and Brett the Hitman Hart. Solid. I'm excited for that yeah, match. Yeah, solid match. Got a lot of genuine talent in there. So Nakano attacks Blaze right at the bell, and immediately Blaze gets ragdolled around by the hair. I mean, the we've seen the hair drags before. This is a full helicopter spin at 180 miles an I hour. I love the way that Blaze from... bumps for these. Yeah, like you say, helicopter propellers <laughs> flying. Like she spins over like 1080 degrees almost. <laughs> Yeah, and Bull is just sending her to and fro, and gets the, and then she applies the hold that we see in the graphic, which is this leg bar, this pseudo ankle lock with this high angle knee bend. This just this looks all sorts of painful, and Blaze has to fight to the ropes. She comes back with a few sling blades and a roundhouse kick to the face, flurry of flying drop kicks, but then her momentum stalls. Bull takes over, and puts on the Queen Angelito stretch, also known as. Pages PTO. Yes! More dangerous on a table, as you and I both Certainly. know. But, but goddamn, when Bull applies it and you see like her, her low center of gravity, it just looks extra painful. <laughs> it is it is a vicious looking hold. It, basically, if you don't, if, if you don't have never seen a pain page match, which is uh, I've been out of the ring for a few years now, it's the scorpion death lock where you fold the legs under your abdomen, then lean down and pull the arms up in a double hammer lock. So they're just kind of like suspended with their legs bent in an awkward uh, death lock position and their backs getting stretched and their arms are getting stretched and it hurts everything. It looked great though. Like the, I noticed that this felt the, the first half of the match was pretty much all Nakano. I was trying to figure out at the beginning, does Nakano waffle blaze with the championship or is this the championship belts in the way? I didn't quite see because I was I was taking the note on the uh, on Cornet's announcement of the match mm. for next week, so perhaps I might have missed the. I just know she I just know she jumped her and that's uh and that was that. Um. So Blaze follows Nakano where she had to drop off the top rope with a crazy bump. I'm, I'm sorry, she drops Nakano off the top to the floor and Nakano almost gets her leg caught in the rope, falling to the outside. And then Blaze follows with a suicide dive. Back in, Nakano gets this vicious-looking power bomb. They're going a, a million miles an hour here. Like, I, I was shorthanding everything in my notes just because I'm just trying to keep up. And she goes to the flying leg drop, gets on a two, and then it's suplex. City. Oh, she's spamming the suplex button at this point. Yeah, it's, it's Blaze Lesnar here. She's uh, <laughs> suplexing bull to and fro. Cornette gets in the line. It's hard to hold a 250-pound woman. I'm sure you know that to Vince. That's a good line, to be fair. It was his convicted delivery that made it. <laughs> so, Blaze gets knocked off the top rope. She falls, hits the steps. Then Nakano goes for a suicide dive and wipes out. Then to follow that, Blaze is <laughs> Nakano with German specs on the outside. Then to follow that, Nakano says Blaze flying into the ring steps. Then to follow that, back inside, <laughs> Bull goes for a moonsault. Misses, Blaze gets the German suplex and pins her to win the title. <laughs> this was awesome. Stunning match. Stunning match. They had to be exhausted afterwards. This was only a seven-minute match, but goddamn, if this wasn't like at least a three and a half-star match. They just crammed so much in, didn't they? Oh yeah, they had limited time, but by God, we're still on the show. 
screw all the men. <laughs> and and the crowd up for it as well. Like the crowd, this is the most you heard oh, the they crowd tonight. They were really into this one. Mm-hmm. If you watch one match from this night of Raw, make sure you give seven minutes to Blaze and Nakano, who just pack it in for that seven minutes. I will go on record as saying this is probably going to be the best Raw women's match for at least, at least 15 to 20 years. Oh, jeez. That's depressing. I, I love Trish and Lita in 2004. It was a very good match. Not quite in this league. No. These two are on another level. This but is... these two are like, they're, they're in they're another stratosphere because they're coming from, from, a, from a place where, especially Bull Nakada, where like the Japanese wrestling is, the, the women's wrestling scene in Japan for JAW is is nurtured and and cared for it and you bring in that and in, intense and intense as well and and, and London mm. Blaze has sampled that has tasted that as Medusa and you bring in that in, and it just it feels so progressive mm. and there was talk at the start of this calendar year 1995 that WWF wanted to have a sort of more all Japan esque feel to the show in terms of win losses. And every so often you get little glimpses of where that comes through. Uh, but with this, it shines. Mm. Blaze and Nakano just going for it. Unfortunately, and this is a major unfortunately, this will be the last appearance of Bull Nakano in this company. Yeah, I read about this. So what mm. happens with with, uh, with our girl? I believe she was suspended at the end of 94 for cocaine possession. Uh. And then they... She, she just did house shows after that, other than that one Raw taping where she was carousing with Lawler and Hakushi, and then they do this match. And I suspect this may have been kept off Mania for that reason, just to you know, avoid giving her a pay-per-view payday. What a shame. What a shame. But it's all right, because I mean, there's a replacement for in her feud against Alundra Blaze. Right. Before we get to that, though, I want to say, if this match in Holly and Hakushi had been on Mania itself, better show. Yeah, you reckon? Definitely. I mean, yeah, you're adding like a three and a half star and a two and a half star match to the show. Makes it a little better. I just need a bit more reason for them to be on the show, really. It was a good match, though. Well, just a, well, just a hot, well, for, for the Hakushi one, you're, you're just giving him like a you know, a showcase match because you're putting him over in the future. You give him Bob Holly to work with him to do a seven-minute match, and he goes over. Mm, that's true. And then this match, you do the title change there, give Blaze the big win. Over, overall, WrestleMania benefits from having both matches on it. Very true. But then after the matches, Blaze is celebrating in the darkness. Uh, you know, under uh, under the whole light show, she has the belt, and the crowd, as we mentioned, is nuts for this. They've had their minds blown by this match. We get ready to go to the break when all of a sudden, this rather large woman hits the ring and attacks Alundra Blaze, more like this sort of leather singlet and with poofed out hair and face paint around her eyes, and she starts beating the living crap out of Blaze, throwing her around. Blaze is holding her face. She falls to the outside. Referee's coming to break it up. This would be the Monday Night Raw debut of Bertha Faye, who at this point, she would, she would change her aesthetic soon enough, and not for the better, as, as we'll soon see. She's better known as Rhonda Singh or Monster Ripper, and this was her Monster Ripper look. I, I loved it. I love the Monster Ripper look far better than what we get. Far more than what we get. Yes, in terms of just being a badass powerhouse that will you know bring bring a lunger to her knees and overpower her and, and go for the title, this is this would have been fine. 
But no, we had to go in a different direction there. And uh, we'll get to so a it. little bit of a story about the journey of uh, the story so far for Rhonda Singh. Absolutely. So Rhonda Singh, uh, it was reported that when she was younger, she used to beat up kids in her neighborhood. <laughs> I believe <laughs> And uh, her parents went, oh, you should be a wrestler. As opposed to, you know, disciplining. Um, she went to see the Hart family. She wanted to be trained by Stu. And mm-hmm. Stu declined training uh, Rhonda Singh. Do you know why? I'm going to assume he refused to train women. Refused to train women. What would he have said, Justin? Yeah, listen, I, um, uh, I, I, I beat up a lot of the trainees, and I would, um, I would feel uh, terrible if I would uh, you know, put a, a, a fine woman like yourself in a hole and uh, break their arm. It's not uh, not in my uh, my my uh, my nature. Do uh, I? I, I want to be uh, chivalrous. Uh, so what would uh, what would uh, Helen say if I uh, were beating up a woman in the dungeon? <laughs> she kicked my head in. Uh... <laughs> yeah, she certainly would. There, uh, Bruce. Uh, why why are you bugging more ball shots than the finishes? Uh... <laughs> I told you to knock that off. It's uh, killing the town. Sue, book me against Monster Ripper. Um, <laughs> well, she's going over, Tiger. <laughs> hey, look, it worked out all right because she didn't get trained by Stu Hart. So she went to Japan and she was trained by Mildred Burke, like one of the the mm-hmm. the, the foundations of women's wrestling. There's an entire documentary on Mildred Burke. Uh, a cultaholic wrestling mm-hmm. curiosity, which is ready for your ears on the podcast feed right now. Um, but she was so mm-hmm. Mildred Burke taught Ronda Singh to wrestle. So in 1987, she was the Monster Ripper, doubled back to Canada, part of Stampede Wrestling. Dynamite Kid helping her out a little bit with this one as well. Uh, she ended up working in uh, in the in the World Wrestling Council, competing in uh, one of the first intergender matches uh, there as part of their 18th anniversary show. So she was at this point that the general complaint about. Rhonda Singh coming in, the Monster Ripper coming in, is that she's sort of like the other end of, of her career. Like, she peaked in the late 80s, and now here she is in the mid-90s. Well, she's only, I mean, she's only in her mid-30s at this point, maybe a few years older than Medusa. So it's not like she was ancient No, I know. I think that a lot of people just went, oh, she's been around quite a while. But she still had uh, some, like, as, as a... As a as a monster ripper, she she was incredibly intimidating. And if they had kept this character, it would have been intriguing to see how far Ronda Singh would have gone in WWF. The only thing I could say is maybe she couldn't have done the same things that Bull McConnell was capable of, which is certainly a fair point because Bull was on a different level. And, and Singh at this point would have been a 16-year pro. She may have had a lot of wear and tear, especially being a heavier wrestler. It, it does wear on you more taking bumps and, and this so it's certainly possible that the, that she could have been more limited in that and and as a physical being but then that but but that's why you have medusa bump off of her you know you let her just be the stand-up monster and you build to knocking her down late in the match she just she wouldn't have to fly around the ring like like say bull nakano was capable of doing there are ways around that but anything is better than the gimmick that they would soon give her rather than but he took away the, the the Monster Ripper aesthetic and made her. Uh, we'll we'll save her when it comes up. We'll see what happens. 
regardless, it was, it was a good first act for uh, Monster Ripper, Birth of Faye, and especially coming after such a great match like like Blaze had with Nakano. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? We, we, get an ad for, we get an ad for the Mania replay. As we mentioned earlier, the first mention on here is the celebrities. Eh, priorities are screwed up. Men on a Mission versus Ben Jordan and Tony Roy. No more Oscar, even though Vince mentions him at first, probably out of habit. Because <laughs> Men on a Mission beat him up and sent him off to the uh, great non-wrestling entity in the, well, not the sky. So ignore that metaphor. Oscar's gone. Oscar's just gone. Let's just put it that way. At this point, they've dyed their mohawks black. It's a better look than, than the uh, generic uh, soft blonde look they had. So at least look more menacing at this point. I feel like the only thing so, they really... You say that, but I think what, only, what happened is, from watching this, like they still came out to good guy music, but instead of dancing in the ring, they beat up the opponents. They still did mm-hmm. all the same moves, but instead of smiling, they were frowning. Well, yes, I think telling someone's a face and someone's a heel. <laughs> like, it's the John Morrison principle from 2009. If he's melancholy and his face is sagging, oh, he's a heel. We hate him. But if he's smiling in his promo photos, he's a good guy. Yay! <laughs> Men on the mission are clearly heels at this point. <laughs> and they attack this few poor prelim bums. They're double teaming one of them while, while Danny Davis gets the other one out of the ring. And Vince actually yells, How stupid can you be? <laughs> She's a Sanka, Vince Sanka. Um, of course, this isn't the first time Danny Davis was ever distracted during a tag team match, if you know the man's history. Um, Cornette, at one point, as the show just, just has pings the uh, surrealometer here, name drops Pork Chop Cash. Christ. Probably just a test to see if Vince would do anything about it. <laughs> Never heard of him. Probably. Longtime territorial wrestler from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Never heard of him, <laughs> says Vince. Let's bring him in as a dustbin. I don't know. Let's bring him in as a painter decorator. That's a great name, though. Pork Chop Cash. I, I've all, the first thing that drew me to Pork Chop Cash was the name Pork Chop Cash. He, he sounds like a meaty boy. Like he sounds like he sounds like before I've even seen what he does or what he looks like. He's a guy I think he delivers a good clothesline. It's weird. Pork chop cash. Him coming at you with a lariat. That's all I can think of. Any big powerhouse athlete whose nickname is a is a type of meat makes me happy. <laughs> it's like former NFL player Terrence Potrose Knighton. I love the fact that he's still with us as well. His poor chap yeah. is in his 70s and is still going. Yeah, still pops him on the yard in show. We'll have to get him on Desert Island Graps. That would be a treat for all involved. That'd be I'm great. I'm going to search him out. I'm going to try and get him on Desert Island Graps. NWA Georgia, NWA Central States. Man's been around. So during this match, uh, Mabel gets this scary-looking boss man slam on poor Ben Jordan. Like, just folds him up. Mm. Mabel, if nothing else, even though he hurt a few wrestlers and that becomes a theme in 95, when he did something devastating, it looked devastating. Probably because it was devastating. Oh, it didn't look nice. Roy tries to run into play hero. He eats a spinning heel kick, which, give Mabel credit, that, that that's impressive for a guy his size to be able to do that. Mabel had some upside, but there were just flaws in there. Yeah, it was, this didn't really, uh, there's worse to come with these two. <laughs> 
There's worse to come. Yeah. Yep. This is more the Mabel show here, and this two-minute squash. He hits uh, Tony Roy with a with a belly to belly. That's your finish. Men on the mission go over. No surprise. No, no surprise at all. But then to make me happy, and I assume make you happy, and make Matthew happy because obviously he has to join us for this. We get an ad for the very first ever in your house. Yay! And you can win a bloody house. Along with the in your house rap. Yes. Yeah. In your house. <laughs> As we get this um, hollowed out non-decor Florida house that is going to be up for grabs in a, in, in a sweepstakes. <laughs> where, where you, possibly you, yes you, could possibly win a house. <laughs> I love how random this is. Win a house. <laughs> Win a bloody house! <laughs> I wish Southpaw had like in your trailer so you can, the, the contest is for like a Winnebago or something. <laughs> in your in your shanty. <laughs> or in your outhouse. There you go. <laughs> Hot dang. New crap installed. <laughs> hey, Ma. <laughs> Thanks, WWF. <laughs> John should be somebody winning an outhouse and being very happy. Yes, please, John. And and Vince and Vince <laughs> nearby, like <laughs> receiving the gratitude. <laughs> and he's playing a DS for some reason. With a dragon. And there's a See, dragon. I'm doing your job there's for a you dragon now. nearby. <laughs> well, Tom, enough malarkey and enough silliness. Because we have a big ending oh, here. Oh, well, big E's on this. And this would is... be amazing. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Poughkeepsie. <laughs> Be sour. Because <laughs> you're still in 1995. Poughkeepsie, clap and be sour. <laughs> We've just lost clap the power. Match, but nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same old crap. Yes, it is. Dumb. <laughs> Biggie would be like 10 years old here, but he still would have improved oh, the show. Yeah, telling me. I love when Biggie was on Cameo and there was a jump video. There's a video of all the cameos that he did. And every cameo he started with, Oh, Nicholas. Oh, Daniel. Oh, these could be doing. Oh, Granny. Oh, gosh. Love Big E so much. I was in the Thunderdome the night he won the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, did you... Sound like a worthwhile experience. Did you uh, pop I may. I did the loudest silent pop you've ever seen. Me and Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's great for well, me. It's great a... for me Fitbit doing the Thunderdome. Because the last two times I've done it, they just so you if you haven't experienced the Thunderdome yet, so you stick the the thing on your screen and you've got the camera on and they tell you like to make sure you cheer, make sure you boo, and all this. But it's like one in the morning, so I'm not going to actually cheer. I'm just going to mime that I'm cheering. And uh, and what was lovely was I woke up the the morning following the Thunderdome, the Christmas Day Thunderdome SmackDown experience, which I was on for like the whole two hours. I suppose the last time when they kicked me out after half an hour. I don't know what I did. Um, but I did the two hours. And when I, I went to bed, I woke up a couple of hours later, 
and I had like two two and a half thousand steps on my Fitbit. I was like, oh, cool. I was wearing my Fitbit the whole time. And it's just picked, it thinks I've been for a massive walk. When really, I've just been waving my hands like an idiot in the air for about two hours. Well, it, it constitutes exercise. It certainly not? does. So I took all the steps gladly. So this main event segment mm-hmm. here, Vince is going to interview Shawn Michaels with Sid. And this is a... Uh, this has some interesting ramifications for the future. Mm. Designed, but of course, still very important. So Sean comes out. He's got Sid with him. Talks about how his back hurts. I was waiting for him to say because it's from carrying Sid and Diesel. <laughs> but we're not in the shoot area. We're not in the shoot area yet. Quit shooting, brother. He's shooting. He's shooting. <laughs> Thanks, Douglas. We get it. The Pillman. <laughs> got it. Um. So Sean accepts Diesel's um, offer for a rematch. Presumably this is going to be for the first in your house. Then Sean turns to Sid and says he doesn't need a bodyguard. And Sid, who had this sort of paper-thin smile for a little bit, his face visibly sags at that comment. Because now Sean turns to Sid and casts blame on him for the loss the night before. It's his fault that Hebner was out of position and hurt, unable to render the count following the super kick. So he tells Sid he's given the night off it in your house. Sean thinks this is going to be the end of that segment. He goes to leave. Then Sid gets all fired up, starts firing back. Finn tries to throw it a break. Sid's still yelling the loud, funny words. We come back and Sean. <laughs> you see, what happened here is that during the break, Sid beat Sean virtually to, virtually to death. We see none of it because what I think because there's two, there's two schools of thought here. One, they were saving that for you know watch next week to see what happened or watch on the weekend show to see what happened. Or two, because it was live, they screwed something up and then everything happened during the break. I think the latter is more likely than the former. I think they will they will use the former off the back of using the latter. <laughs> plausible, certainly plausible. But what happens is Sid ends up powerbombing Sean three times. And the first one was a little ropey. <laughs> Sean went too high again, didn't he? Did Sean try and show him up again? Like he did Diesel the night before. It looked like Sean was trying to go for the um, Lucha Libre rollout with an arm drag counter. <laughs> and come at, came out of Sid's grasp way too high and came down funny. But the other ones went off without a hitch. Probably Sid said, if you do that again, I will legitimately murder you in the middle of this <laughs> ring. And Sean obliged. When Sid threatens you, you kind of have to yes, do what he certainly. says. Otherwise, you'll go and get a squeegee. <laughs> or some oh, scissors. <laughs> I wouldn't make the scissors joke to Sid to his face. <laughs> Bischoff did. Well, that's kayfabe. I'm talking <laughs> real ca- life. Okay, I wouldn't talk. Uh, I'm kayfabe. <laughs> Wait, we become. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but we come back and. I'm just being a silly <laughs> goose, mate. <laughs> I understand. Sean's a human stain on the canvas. <laughs> Sid's, I mean, it's what he is. Yeah. We come back and Sean's like, it's like... He's like an art installation. <laughs> he's just... He's, he's been slothinized on the mat. <laughs> As Sid stands over him, Diesel runs in, runs Sid off. And it, it's chaos. It's chaos. And that's how the show ends. It's almost like in those cartoons where you'll see like a, a smaller character like 
say something like about a bigger character and then you see the bigger character appear behind them and then a jump cut to the little character dead on the floor it was kind of it kind of had that comedy style to it uh, it was sean like dismissing sid sid getting angry and then suddenly sean's dead <laughs> Yeah, as how it should have been. They should have gone to break with Sean saying, you don't have the balls to hit me. They come back and Sean That would have out. been superb. Superb. Sid would have been, <laughs> been the biggest baby face of the company if that had happened. <laughs> What's lovely to see is, this, this is an episode of Raw following WrestleMania in April of 1995. What's reassuring is, in 2021... They still haven't got it quite right. As it was just this past week on Monday Night Raw, actually the week before this on Monday Night Raw, where you had the Goldberg and Drew debacle, where they completely buggered up the timings of everything there. <laughs> so, Drew, I heard, I heard you have a problem with organized religion. I didn't cut the promo. I didn't get that far. We're running low on time. That's just the best. Well, I'm here to stand, to stand up for, 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 for all ideologies. Goldberg just ixing on that part. We didn't get to that. I just, I love that. that Goldberg, it, sure. Okay, so if you're not sure what we're talking about, the Raw previous, Goldberg, so mm-hmm. they ran out of time. Drew was meant to cut a promo where he was meant to, to have some fun digs at the legends on the stage at the end of the night. Goldberg was going to come out and go, hey, stop being a dick to these legends. I'll fight you. Here's the thing. They ran short of time. Drew didn't get time to cut the promo. So Goldberg came out and reacted to a promo that Drew hadn't cut. <laughs> Goldberg's having an argument with the voices in his head. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like it's like that. It's the infamous, the, the famous scene in Empire Strikes Back where you've got Luke hanging onto the, the balcony. And Darth Vader, who just mm. out of nowhere goes, Obi Wan wasn't your father. <laughs> like, I never asked you about my dad. <laughs> this is the argument against scripts. It really is. It really is the argument. Like, surely in in Gorilla, could somebody not just said to Goldberg, "Right, we've buggered the time. Just go out and challenge him. Forget everything else." You would think, but. I mean, at that hour, then like you're probably just so tired, just like, all right, Goldberg, do the thing you're supposed to do. They're probably not even paying attention to the actual format at that yeah, point. Yeah, very, very long. And they're like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> what, what, what you were meant to say, according to his attorneys, is that he couldn't possibly do it alone. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, scripts and uh, and timing. <laughs> Never quite right. Argument two against scripts, Sid. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he, he wouldn't be half as legendary if he had to read from a script. Or actually, he might be more legendary. Who knows? Oh, I, I, I think he'd be more legendary. I think because... Sid trying to remember yeah, his line. Yeah, just, just going off on just, just getting lost. And I think we'd have this like thousand yard <laughs> stare from Sid as he was trying to remember what bit he was at. <laughs> oh, it's, gotta love, love it. it. So we'll find out more about about Sean's predicament if he's been upgraded to a live yet, and what happens if this sit on next week's show. And hey, we got a big six man tag. So so far coming out of Mania, I give this a I give us a little bit of optimism. Yeah, exactly. I want to try and do a thing every week where we look at one thing from Raw that made us happy. We're going to try and find the good in Raw during this difficult time. I would love to, Jan. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, right. What we're gonna do is see the good in Monday night. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, we 
Oh, I love the bones off of Jen. She's flipping ace. Uh, yeah, so this week it's Blaze and Nakano. A hell of a match. Oh, absolutely. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to concur. The match was... Uh, I watched it around midnight Monday morning. And uh, I was half asleep, but that woke me up. Very much so. Very much so. And you're saying that's the last decent women's match for two decades, nearly? Well... In WWF. Not on decent. Raw. I mean, there, 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 I mean, there was good ones. I mean, there was a, there was a Trish lead in 2004. That was a, a very, very good match. That a lot of people cite as being a great match. And I think it's a pretty good match. I, I just, it's behind this, which, which no shame in being behind this match because this match was excellent. Mm, absolutely. Excellent match. Here's hoping for good stuff for Raw next week. I think that, I think there will be the six man tag. As long as that delivers, we should, we should be in for a pretty good show unless something really dumb happens, which I wouldn't put it past this company. Cross all fingers. And until next week, he is at JRH writing on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Together, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. Don't forget to join us. I have half the brain that you do. <laughs> Love you. Bye. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 